Hi, I'm Ryan Tishone. Uh, I'm a member of the Youth Committee for the Scotland-Malawi Partnership, uh, currently in Paisley, Scotland, born in Scotland. Hi, welcome to the Youth Festival uh, for 2021. My name is Josephine Chikwana. I am Ryan's co-host and we're excited to be presenting to you our podcast on race and equality. So um, I was thinking we can dive right into it and um, uh, discuss maybe some of our experiences. So I am Malawian and being in Scotland um, for these past few months has been an interesting experience for me. Um, Maybe we could start with your experiences though, Ryan. Um, Have you ever been to Malawi? Uh, Yeah, I've been twice, uh, once with my uh, secondary school in 2016 and then a second time in 2017 for a longer time where it was just basically a group of friends essentially just going over with a charity to help build schools. Ah, okay. Um, Maybe do you want to elaborate um, into more details on your first or second experience? What was your goal or aim and um, what were your key highlights during your time there? Um, well, uh, for both trips, the sort of main objective was to build uh, classroom blocks. Uh, so the school, we managed to raise enough money to build five. Um, so we went over there to uh, basically just finish up uh, the construction because with the charity we do, it's very much... Uh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh well, as a partnership, uh, so they pay local builders to build the units. So that's basically them getting a job, employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just us just showing up and handing over money. It's uh, Classrooms for Malawi is set mm-hmm. up to basically employ local builders and local workforces to help renovate an area, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the city or area or school? I oh, know you've pulled me up for pronouncing this wrong. <laughs> You've done this on purpose. Uh, I really have. <laughs> Zen- Zenza? Nedza. Nedza. You tried. <laughs> okay. Just like sick, leave me alone. <laughs> um, how many people did you go with? Like, um, I, I, I understand that you guys had builders from Malawi, but what was your main aim? So was it to empower Malawians, to empower the builders and these laborers? Or I'm trying to understand the aspect of... Um, of this charity, what was the main reason for choosing Malawi in particular and why did that? Do you know? Uh, well, that was just uh, Classrooms from Malawi. They've got the employee um, people over there. Uh, currently, it's a guy called Des. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure if that was just his nickname that he told us now. But anyway, he used to work for uh, the Education Administration over there. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, what his job is, he goes around and evaluates each area and Mm -hmm. figures out which ones are sort of like the most deprived or need the most help and sort of flags them up to classrooms from Malawi and any money raised, uh, they get selected um, to get renovated and extra funding, basically. Yeah. Um, A tricky situation usually with um, such projects is how you, um, um, well, I mean, Malawians will get the funds, but how they will be used. What, okay, um, the question I'm actually trying to ask is who determined how those um, funds were going to be used? 
was it um, your end or was it the Malawian end who told you, we believe we need these classrooms? Because something that tends to happen is we um, sometimes assume the funds are allocated to us telling us, oh, we know that there are people that um, there are no classrooms in Malawi. So we are coming to give you funds specifically for classrooms. But us as Malawians or people from living in the actual area believe you're seeing it in a wrong aspect. You're seeing it in a wrong point of view because we're here and we're thinking the bigger issue is the fact that we don't have, you know, um, a good supply of water. So we'd rather build a borehole or drill, you know, some um, wells so that people can um, get easier access to water as opposed to you building, building um, classrooms for us. So back to the question, sorry for diverting, but who or what determined you guys um, um, allocating the funds to the classrooms in particular? Uh, it's sort of a mix of both. Like over the course, things sort of changed. So like the years before I went out, um, only one year before I actually went over, but for uh, a good few years beforehand, we were raising money for the school in the area. Uh, and previously they've built uh, water wells, raised money for uh a girl's toilet block because they didn't have one so we sort of thought that would be a good issue but one thing where they ended up turning around and saying to us was we got the idea of wanting to sort of give money for crops almost like an orchard okay. and they just turned around and said it's like with the weather we've got here there's there's no way that we could get the crops to survive and they asked us if they could put the money to better use to spend on getting livestock. And of course, like we completely agreed with that. And that's what they've done. They uh, bought goats. But again, like that's, that's uh, completely get what you mean. Like, again, it's just if we just made that decision, then without any communication, then they would have just, would have been money wasted, basically. It would have just have crops that would have failed and there would have been a complete waste of time on both sides. Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, I'm glad to, um, and happy to hear that this was a, a consensual agreement and um, the funds were allocated to, well, the right avenue in that aspect, though usually that isn't the case or that's a complaint that comes from um, my point of view, that usually when we get funds or, um, you know, sponsorship or aid um, from your end, it's more of something that's more beneficial to you in your eyes, in your point of view, without actually considering what would be beneficial on our grounds. This is where I think um, we're being, um, it, it comes back into the whole colonization part too. So it's, well, we, we are the ones providing the aid. So we believe this is where the money is going to go. And this is usually a tricky situation because then um, this is why we end up with um, issues of theft and uh the, the, the money isn't actually going to the right beneficiaries because the people you're talking to are receiving the money because you, they're trying to please you. So they're trying to, to help the people aiding us, giving us the aid, um, trying to please them by telling them, okay, yeah, great, you're giving us money and we're definitely going to build classes. But half of that money actually isn't spent on the classrooms that you assume um, we're building, but it's being spent on so many other different avenues just because we wanted the aid. So I think... Um, one problem there is uh, we believe we just were meant to take and the only way we can take is by listening to um, the demands that you have 
or the demands that have been provided or stipulated on us. So if it's to build a classroom, we want the money. So we will build the classroom as a face, but behind the scenes, we're using the money so for so many different things. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if, if, if you have any more comments on, on that line of... Yeah, well... Uh... The year after me, I'm pretty sure they were the last year to at least work on that school because we came to the conclusion, it got to the point where the sort of headmistress was, you know, asking for her to get a new office and everything and all that sort of built for her, mm-hmm. which that's not what we're there for. It's to sort of help, you know, the whole community and the sort of children, not just this one woman to have a nice fancy office and got to the point where more and more people were moving to that area just to use that school. So oh, so yeah. I came to the decision that we were then going to, you know, move on and find a different location just so we're not just building up one area to be a sort of, you know, super nice renovated where everybody will go to sort of end up spreading out the wealth because it gets to a point where there's nothing else you really can do and it is just sort of throwing money at unnecessary sort of things, which is just what people are asking for at the end of it, which isn't really to benefit anyone. So um, I'm pretty sure that's what they've done. They've sort of moved on and they've found another school to partner up with and start from the ground up again and hopefully take the lessons learned from the first one with communication and us going over and seeing the actual work and how everything works, what's needed and what isn't, and learn from that. Yeah. Well, well, I think that's definitely going to be a problem that that is going to be hard to break because um, speaking from a Malawian point of view, when we get the aid, we look at it as all oh, these guys have so much money to to give us. They're so privileged. So they're here to help us. And um, it's, it's really funny to hear that um, people started relocating to this school because it was the one receiving the aid. That definitely sounds like something that we are going to do, but only because... Um, the main question that we'll have is why why them? Why are they getting the aid and why not everybody else? So I think it still goes back to the issue of um, we don't know why um, sometimes uh, the funds are being allocated to a certain avenue or a certain area of development and not other areas, like you said. So I really do hope that um, the other school that um, you have been partnered or they partnered with is um, doing better in terms of um, making more use of this aid. Um, I just wanted to know when you did visit, what were your grounds of visiting? So did you have any friends? Did you make any friends in Malawi? Uh, Yeah, but again, it was sort of more, not so much the school children, because again, it was like a lot of them try to, you know, come out and interact in that but it's like it's you know during their school week and school days so it's we sort of encouraged as much of the teachers and that to you know get them back into classrooms and learning which is you know what we're building all the stuff for mm-hmm. um so sort of most of the people we met were more adults in that did the schools not try to partner you up because i assume part of this um project was to also considering you guys were school um children you might have found people around the same age and um i think it would have been a great initiative to try to get people to partner up become you know pen pals and um you know i have a i still probably have that mentality to think well you have access to more opportunities 
you know? So by virtue of being friends with you, get the right network and, you know, I could find an opportunity for myself for you to invite me over to Scotland or invite me over or um, help me um, apply for scholarships or conferences. So I, I, I want to know if any initiative was made to get pen pals or friends um, yeah, there was definitely that. Um, I didn't meet my pen pal. Uh, I don't really know what happened. I got no contact, but a few people did. And again, they were waiting for us to be there. It's sort of, again, like you were saying, that's kind of exactly what happened, which is it's a sad thing to sort of say and even to see it happen. Um, but yeah, um, there was one boy who sort of, I'm pretty sure he was one of the sons from one of the teachers and he was, you know, slightly more educated than the rest. I'm guessing they got extra, you know, uh-huh. schooling at home. And But basically, like, he knew how to get, like, under everyone's skin and, you know, bring them back to his place and get them all on phones. And But I, I sort of saw what was kind of happening there and just trying to avoid it. And the second year that I went back, you know, it was the same thing, bringing over gifts and notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were there working. So I tried to just, you know, I was being pleasant enough, but tried to ignore it to, it got to the point where he was basically just demanding what gifts I'd sort of brought from him. And oh, yeah. It was just, you, 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 there's nothing really you can say to that. We just sort of tried to explain that sort of the work we're doing is sort of what we're bringing across. It's like that the infrastructure is what we're doing. We're not here to, you know, just hand out wealth that we honestly don't have ourselves. And one boy, George, um, his pen pal, you know, he was there the first year in that and sort of started to get that way. We tried to tell him to ignore it. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, that's up to him what he done. But again, it came to the second year we went over, and you know he was looking, recognised as was looking about for him. He didn't come with us, and again, it was handing over little notes. But this time, <laughs> the note and letter was essentially just a shopping list of <laughs> everything that he needs for his schools, and same with like his brothers and siblings. And it's just a you're sort of putting an opposition, uh, opposition, a position because you don't know. Obviously, the letter's for George, and he's asking us to take it home. But it's 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 difficult to you know go back with those letters and put that pressure on him. Yeah, because he's got no no real contact to get back over there, and he's just sort of left with this heartbreaking list of things that he can never really get across to. Yeah, I mean, they, again, it's you don't really know who's writing the notes because, like I said, it's like the original sort of letters you could tell were done by him. Yeah, and then they just slowly started to change more and more <laughs> over time. And the, you know, you get shown little plays and um, and that when we arrived, it's sort of like a cultural exchange. And there was one that really they wanted to highlight to us, and it was how like the older generation were trying to stop. The younger ones going to school were trying to get them to sort of going to begging and asking for stuff because obviously that's what they grew up with and that's what they grew up with working with how the older generations have pretty much handled this and we're here and we're trying to stop that Mm. and the only way to stop that is by you know not giving things away which you just feel 
horrible and feel like the monster, but it's the only way to get the point across that the, the way to get out of this isn't through begging and you know looking for stuff constantly. It comes down to you know staying in school, getting the education, and then you can move on and help create something new. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I completely get you. Um, it's really sad, honestly, because um, coming from that point of view, I unfortunately can relate. I can actually um, put myself in their shoes and see that they 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 see you. You know, you've come in. Um, you're of a different race. You probably have amazing clothes because then I assume you're going to a rural area. That's a primary or that's a school as you're putting it. I've actually never been there because it's, it's that's isn't a capital city. It's not a really big city. And um, it's in the central, I know, of Malawi, but it's it's really not the urban um, city. So you must have been meeting the rural area kids and they're looking at you dressed up in these amazing clothes. You're coming with technology and you're coming with cameras. You know, I, I probably just look at you and think, oh, you're so privileged. And um, if you can manage to come here, the least you can do is bring me presents. You know, um, our friendship is more of I'm here to take and um, uh, I think he probably, I, I, I feel sorry for George, who um, clearly didn't get the relationship that he was looking for from his pen pal. But unfortunately, I think even as you go higher, I've noticed um, as you grow older, um, that's the same aspect. That's that's um, the older generation are looking at. You're looking at, at people who have access to the British, um, you know, uh, British inner circle or British um, way of doing things. I don't know how to put it, the best way of putting it, but I assume you coming from Scotland just gave them the impression of you're here to give us, we're here to take. There's nothing that I believe I can provide or I can um, deliver to you. I mean, speaking in, in line of I am, um, I am currently uh, in my second semester of studies and um, one of the challenges I'm, I'm facing right now is um, the school system uh, in Malawi is, I, I would say, is uh, can, cannot compare to the one that um, University of Edinburgh offers. So you look at the way that they mark, the way that um, the, the, the school is delivered, um, the education is delivered, the teaching and learning and access that I, that I have here is completely different from the one I would have had if I was doing an online school even back at home. It's completely different. And I just think um, growing up Malawian, before I came to Scotland, I didn't even know that some of these things were possible, you know, um, that you, you get access to um, so many great things. And um, I think, unfortunately, we're not equal in that aspect. We we are definitely far behind. We're falling behind. Um, it's 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 hard for me to adapt to the education system here, to the constant readings, to the work, or you know the 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 way I write my assignments, or the way I I do things. Because um, back home, it's more of um, I could study the lecture. I could study the, um, uh, I don't know how to put it, but uh, we don't really empower people to learn uh, 
the content per se. We're sort of focused on on passing exams. So you can pass exams if you if you're the teacher's pet, for example. But it's a completely different here. Not that I passed my exams because I was a teacher's pet, by the way. But sure, um, that's what they all say. <laughs> but there are small little issues like that that um, I'm struggling to adjust to. You know, the the load of work. Yeah, there was one thing we. With the school, we flew over their old headmaster and old deputy head to visit Scotland. And there was one thing that he said that's always stuck with me. And it was like the Scotland, Malawi, like they're the we're, he said it was like we're 50 years ahead of you here, but not yeah. as in technology because technology advances the same around the world. Like you still, when we're over there, we still saw people with iPads and phones in you know texting and stuff like that it's he said it was like the mentality it's like over here is everything needs to get done now and it's always in a rush mm-hmm. you're always trying to keep ahead well in malawi you've sort of got malawi in time where everything's a lot more laid back <laughs> yes. and it, we can do it later and it's like oh we can we can finish it off tomorrow and i mean that was the running joke on the construction site was malawi time like we ran out of a material and nothing was bought like in advance it was always be when we run out then we'll go and get more exactly that's definitely how we look at things um back home so it's a really fast-paced life and it's hard for me to adjust it really shows the culture differences or the way of living the the differences in the way of living the way the culture differences and how um i i sad to say you know uh privileges i always still call it privileges because i am i'm actually everybody in malawi is looking at me and saying how did you get to scotland we want to come to scotland and it's only because they know of i've I've now like unlocked this new this new privilege that nobody back home you know um has access to and it's it's quite true um my life here is completely different from you know back home load shedding you guys don't think i don't think you guys have those do you remember the last time the lights went off uh no not really but one of the weird things was when over there we were over by the lake on one of our sort of uh, recce days and basically they were basically telling us how whenever the is it prime minister or president yeah, the president. Yeah, president. Whenever he's got his holiday home on the lake, and whenever he stays there, they they have power the whole time he stays there. Yeah. There's there's no dropouts at all. So basically, whenever he comes to stay, they they want him to stay longer. That is mainly it was. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. I think it's a it's you see it still goes back to privilege. So it's either you're wealthy and you can afford to um, buy off you know, buy um, generators and the electricity will be on all the time. Or you're a member of parliament and you're an important person in Malawi and that's the only way you get these small little privileges. So I think um, there's too many issues that um, uh, are existing between the two countries in terms of um, equality and and, um, race. Do you really think, can you pinpoint any issue that you think you know, in the next year or two years, maybe our generation can try and bridge that gap in terms of race and equality. I think just sort of highlighting that, you know, even though we're different races, we're still, you know, the same underneath. We still have the same 
problems, you know, anxieties about school and family and the future, like job prospects. Mm-hmm. It's just it's the infrastructure that's different, and it's just if we can work together to set it up to be stable and not us having to constantly, you know, raise money and sort of send money over, but for it to become, yes, yeah, sort of sustainable and a constant thing for able to develop, then, yeah, I feel like we could definitely get rid of it. Yeah, I do completely agree. I love how you've talked about um, the sustainable um, way of, of of developing Malawi. I think uh, we really need to shift that. I think currently we still have, um, as Malawians, we still have that view or or image of you guys as, you know, the the, the you guys are of a different race by virtue of being a different race you're privileged you're there to help me you're there to just give me food you're here there to feed me so i think um there's still a lot that can happen there's still things that we need to change um in terms of one horrible thing when we were sort of at markets it was one of our bus drivers pointed it out again Uh oh god i feel horrible but i suppose that's what this is for but again, I'm, I don't even know from pronouncing it, but basically we kept getting, you know, called Azungo and shouted yes. over. <laughs> and basically we got pointed out that that is the racial slur. It is. That the equivalent giving to white people. And it was basically like the, the, the thing that we basically done to combat it was well we spoke with very little to where we could which surprised them and opened them up but again it was very much it was no 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 you don't call me my name is and we would give them our names and basically try and bridge a gap between it that way like without us just being associated with being I mean I know that sounds horrible with everything that happens you know over here with Black Lives Matter and that and it's nowhere near the same comparison but it was the fact that that had been pointed out to us and then we were able to sort of set up a dialogue with the people. Exactly. And, you know, and after that you were joking and laughing around, but it was just as soon as it got pointed out and you were just, you know, that realisation that basically everybody was just shouting abuse at us, but we had no clue until someone pointed it out. Exactly. I, I like the idea that we managed to form a dialogue with the people who were doing it and, you know, gave them names and we learnt their names and bartered and everything like that and hopefully we might have changed some of their views that just shouting that to call people over isn't the correct way to do things anymore yeah i mean um like you said it's calling you azungu azungu actually that's how it is azungu or mzungu so that that is definitely you know white you know um Mm -hmm that's pointing out yeah that person is white look at them that the person is white so and you're asking yourself what are you looking at per se <laughs> what exactly are you looking at but it's it seems to be a thing and that is um an issue of race you know and um uh same thing happens sadly for me who went to a british um a curriculum high school i went to school that taught the british curriculum and i had um many white friends and um being able to speak english like this they you know malawians also still look at you and think ha huh, who is this person she's speaking english you know she's a, she's a white person but she's black so it's unfair um to have that but um 
it's true, I guess, that um, I'm a white person in quotes only because I can speak English, but I don't think that's 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 a thing. And I think these are things that these are these are issues we need to um, bridge between um, Malawi and and Scotland. And I think once we can see past the race, and once we can, like you said, realize that we are all facing, you know similar problems, we could probably come to a, a proper consensual agreement that could be beneficial to both countries. All right, that's it from us. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. You have been with me, Josephine Akira Tijuana, and my co-host. Ryan Tishone, uh, thank you for listening. Make sure to look us up and follow us uh, using hashtag Scott Malawi Youth especially on our brand new Instagram, still under Scott Malawi Youth, uh, one of the brand new platforms created and run by the Youth Committee to help get your voices and opinions heard. So look forward to seeing you and hearing your opinions. Till next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.